Hey everybody, my name is Derek Strogan, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit. Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right. Today's guest is Derek Strokon. He is the founder of Sacred Lions Consulting. He is a number one bestselling author. He is a TEDx speaker and creator of the Give Cancer the Middle Finger charity. David has found a niche in helping people understand their ability to be present, escape the hero culture, and just be an everyday human. In our conversation today, we dive deep into understanding what an everyday human means, why Derek chose to leave the corporate world because they wouldn't give him an hour to go spend with his kids, and he shares a really cool story about how he pivoted his charity to help provide cold caps to cancer patients. And essentially what that is, is is just a cap you put on your head while you're going through chemo treatment to help you keep as much hair as possible. You're going to love listening to Derek's perspective, and I hope you enjoy getting to know him as much as we have. He's such a really incredible human. So here is our amazing episode with the wonderful Derek Strokon. All right. I am fired up to bring on today's today's guest, Derek Strokon. Welcome to the show, my friend. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Randy. There's, there's nothing worse than starting a podcast with a speech failure. So that's hey, a good way for us to get into this. You got my last name right. And that's not always something that everybody does. So <laughs> your point's up already. But uh, it's uh, obviously kind of just a perfect lead into uh, what we're going to talk a little bit about today. But uh, we got connected a little bit through um, a recent TED talk that you just did or a TEDx talk. Yeah. And, and it's very cool. You talked about how to escape the hero culture and the power of just being yourself. And we'll link this in the show notes, but it was just so subtly powerful listening to your TEDx talk about what you wanted to deliver. And then now, you know, just one of your biggest missions of talking about just the everyday human. And I would love for you to just walk us through some of the principles and concepts of what you've created so that we can kind of create some context for the listeners and then we'll dive deep into it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the the really interesting thing about this, TEDx was that it found me more than mm-hmm. me finding it. I think, you know, I started on this journey about a year and a half prior to actually delivering my speech. And I thought, you know, TEDx is a really cool platform. It's going to help heighten my exposure and all of that. Um, but the deeper I got into understanding the importance of delivering this message, and I had a coach that I worked with, and we, what we really tried to solve was why don't we change when things are good? Right? Why do we wait until we hit the wall of 500 miles an hour before we make a significant shift in our lives? Why do we give chaos and crisis? Why do we give trauma? Why do we give the crummy part of the story so much of the credit when really the, the good part of the story is the happy part? But when we share about happy, 
we don't always get the same response from a listener. We're like, here's my happy story. And they're like, yeah, well, good for you. Um, where's the trauma? Where's the chaos? And where's the crisis? And as a society, we've had this addiction to chaos and to crisis. And we use that as the catalyst to change, to make better things happen in our lives. When really, if we could embrace and understand what I refer to as the power of nothing, which is that the moment right now, that's, that's this exact moment right now is that right now, nothing's actually happening. But this is the moment where everything has the opportunity to happen. And you can't do something in the future and you can't do something in the past. And you know, I use the analogy in the, the upcoming book about shifting and then um, tipping time or shifting the hourglass sideways to understand the separation between the future and the past. And that these events, although they touch, although the grains of sand touch, they are not connected. And, and understanding that if you can create a separation in that link and, and you can create that break in the chain, it really allows you to become whatever it is that you want to become in a very, very short period of time. So as an example, right, I have my first book came out in September, the next one's coming out next month, and then the third one's going to be in July. Um, well, it's a lot to accomplish in a short period of time, but when you understand tipping time and the harnessing the power of nothing, then it's what creates all the opportunity and just how, how can we apply that to our regular lives? How can we escape this clutches and this illusory grasp of hero culture that is forcing us to think about living that, you know, 40 hour minimum, but 60 is really what's expected that, that grind until you die, that the fold acronym that I use that it's called fear of leaving your desk. Um, how many of us live with that, right? Even like working from home and you're like, cool, go for a walk for half an hour. Well, as long as I bring my cell phone, yeah. right. But the value of rest and relaxation and moving to a space of calm and contentment and living in a moment of quiet is really what opens up the floodgates for opportunity to create significant shift in your lives. So yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing exploratory journey for me. No, no doubt. And, and why don't you just walk us through the trigger point for you, I know you have yeah. uh, a few different moments, but I know there was a moment where uh, you were sharing with me about, you know, wanting to uh, support your kids ski school right. And, right. and and work. And I think it was a, such a great concept that you explained to right. me of, of being on that fold, you know, fear of leaving your desk and, and right. upsetting your boss. So I'd love for you just to share that story with our audience because yeah, it was so I powerful. Think, you know, I think it was the it was the day that I realized that I wasn't in alignment in alignment with kind of the corporate direction at that point of what, where they wanted me to be. And, and I really, you know, I'd been there 16 years and it was a incredible, I don't take a second away from the value of what I learned and what it did for me, you know, personally and professionally and financially and all of those other things. But, but to have a conversation, um, where I was questioned about spending time with my children. And to go to take an hour and a half to take 90 minutes out of my work day to actually spend with my kids. Um, they're not going to want to spend 90 minutes with their dad on the ski hill for very much longer. They're eight and 10. Pretty soon they're going to be out riding on their own. And, and it was really at that moment where I made a decision that it was time for me to make a significant shift. And, and I think, you know, we all have those catalyst moments, but it, that's what brought up this conversation about why do we wait for that? 
why do we wait for the catalyst moment? Why do we have to have that breaking point in our lives before we make a significant shift to make an improvement, right? Jim Collins opens his um, book, Good to Great, with Good is the Enemy of Great. And it, and it really is that truth. But to go, how do we harness, how do we hijack or create a, a, you know, a short circuit in this pattern where we can actually shift in the immediate moment? And, and for me, it was there. For me, it was that moment. And I think, you know, we all get into that, but wouldn't it be beautiful if we didn't need that moment? Wouldn't it be beautiful if we could just make that change on the day we want to make it because we just decided today we're going to do it? Yeah, I'm going to open this up to Steve here shortly. I know Steve's a, a big geek when it comes to self-development and yeah. just diving into the, the human psychology of stuff. And I'm sure he's got a few good questions. But um, one of the things I just wanted to to ask you or go into is, yeah, so you work with some consulting clients now and that's you know right. part of your part of your work is working with people in the space how do yeah. you unlock that for someone because someone like myself who went through some pretty bad trauma losing one of my best friends pushed me to become an entrepreneur so how do you right. sit with someone that's got a seven out of ten life every single day where yeah. they just show up go to work nothing sucks but nothing's great and it's just average how do you yeah. shift them to want to do what usually takes a trauma or being told right. that you can't go hang out with your kids or losing your best friend or going through some stressful moments to want to make that shift into leading a life of what I would call stress and chaos of being an entrepreneur, but you are right. in control of that. So how do you yeah. how do you influence someone in that space? Yeah, I think I think that's a brilliant question. I think when I look at the, you know, we all talk about our superpower. What's the thing that you know that you're greatest at? Um and I quote my mom on this all the time, but my mom told me, she goes, Derek, you have this uncanny ability to get people to do what you want them to do. And actually trying to break that down into something that is a tangible, like, how do I share that? Right. How do I, how do I bottle that so that everybody can take that with them and then activate their life um, at any moment? I think the, the neat thing about coaching and consulting is what I get to do now is focus 100% of my energy on that part of change. So when I'm meeting with my clients, we talk about change. We talk about what we're improving, what we're advancing, where are we going to go? Because it, it's so easy to get caught up, as you mentioned, in just that 7 out of 10 life. And for the clients that I'm working with, that 7 out of 10 life is a pretty good life. But how do we do more and not more for the sake of more things, more for the ability to support others more for the ability to build a business where you can hire staff and bring and give them a work environment more for as you and i chatted about getting involved in giving back to the community how do we how do we become that you know that that beacon of love and support in our lives and i think it, it's it's an interesting question because it's a hard one to answer yeah. but to go the unlocking of this really comes from understanding that separation that there is no link between the past and the future and where you go we're always waiting for the right time but the timing is never right the timing is always just right now and when we understand that and we can harness that and when we understand that you know that the events of the past have nothing to do with the events of the future that all of these grains of sand are coming through randomly. Everybody says, and this might be, you know, 
not controversial, but maybe people are going to disagree with this statement, but the people who say, you know, everything happens for a reason. And from my perspective, I think that's a bunch of shit because um, things don't happen for a reason. They just happen. It's a matter of what we do with that event. How do we harness and find the strength in that event to make change? Because something traumatic like losing a friend, something traumatic like a illness or a cancer diagnosis, um, it didn't happen for a reason, but it just happened. It's up to you to give reason to that item and to give purpose to that. And how do we leverage and springboard? And I think, you know, this has always been my passion as a kid um, was cheering for the underdog. Like I grew up in Ottawa and we go to the Ottawa Rough Rider games and I would always cheer for the visiting team because they didn't have fans there. And I'm like, well, they deserve to have fans too. Right. And just because they're in the visitor side of the stadium and everybody's like, you know, cheering against Winnipeg. And I'm like, well, maybe Winnipeg needs some support today because they don't have any of their other fans there. So yeah, don't bring me to a sports game because I'm going to cheer for the wrong team. But just Mr. Fair, eh? Yeah. But it's just, it's that underdog mentality of going like, let's support people and bring them to the potential that they have and un unveiling the potential that they have inside themselves so that they can change their own mindset, right? Like, I can't motivate anybody to do anything, but I can help them make a shift in their mindset and their way of thinking. So if we can uncork this power within them, then they can do it. And then they've got me there, you know, twice a month going, how'd you do? Where are we at? What are we doing next? Um, but yeah, it's a blast. I love it. This this consulting work is so cool because I've seen so much significant shift and change in businesses that I'm working with. And you you see smiles on faces and you see growth and you see teams grow and you see revenue increase and you see the ability to contribute and support go up. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Derek, I, um, I really enjoyed the story you told at your 10X talk. Thank you. And um, the piece that, that I wanted to bring into this conversation from that, as I was listening to it, you know, you talked about the hero's journey and then, you know, your, your point out of it at the very end is like, you don't need to be the hero. You can be yourself. That's yeah. That's the whole purpose of, of life is to be yourself and it's okay to be that person. And I think there's so much social pressure to live up to expectations, whether it's right. your own society's expectations, your parents' expectations, friends, colleagues, mentors, whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, However, I think that there are a significant amount of people who haven't been able to figure out what their identity is, yeah, or who they are in like a in a meaningful or believable or like convincing right. kind of way to themselves. Yeah, have you? Is that something that you've explored, or how would you encourage other people to explore that self identification? Yeah, I think. You know, I think it's it's really about understanding that we're not linked to these illusory lives that we are trying to create. Um, the stuff that we see on TV is not the reality. The you know the fancy bag or I don't know how many ads for Nike shoes I've seen in my Facebook feed um, in the last like three weeks because of this movie that just came out or the Michael <laughs> Jordan movie that's coming out. But I'm flooded with stories about how much Michael Jordan's shoes are selling for, and these are selling for 4 million and 8 million. 
and that pursuit of that, you know, insatiable lifestyle, I I don't think it's a fault of Joseph Camel. I think the work that he did is incredible. He discovered the best way to tell a story. But the fact that it is permeated so deep in our society now that every story that we tell has to follow that pattern that I was here, then I crashed, then I started to climb back up, fell back down again, met, met a mentor, and then they helped me along my way. I think what we need to do is to realize that this structure, because they date back to you know the Greek tragedies, but these stories, this structure was designed to teach us life lessons, to teach us lessons as humans, not to show us how we needed to live. And I think we've blurred those lines. And I think to be able to see that we can actually undo that and separate those two things is part of what gets us back to actually, um, you know, a, a place of self-acceptance. And I think, you know, even I'm kind of exploring further when we you know break down Maslow's hierarchy of human needs and his top level of human need is self-actualization. But in reality, it's not a human need that falls into the want and the desire category. And I think we need to simplify this hierarchy. I think I agree with the first two levels of right that you need food and you need shelter. Uh, level two, you need to be free from the threat of physical danger. But the third level of human need, from my perspective, ends at self acceptance of understanding that where you are, and it sounds cliche, but where you are right now is exactly where you need to be. Because you don't have the choice to be somewhere else. And if you're going to be somewhere else, it's going to be in the future. So you can activate yourself to get yourself to that life. And this, right, this, this is not an argument to support complacency. This is an argument that supports hustle. It supports that, you know, the grind when you need to, but not to the point where you have a permanent detriment to your physical or mental health or to your relationships. So the grind is important. The grind is good. But if we can understand that we are exactly where we need to be at this point, I think, you know, the analogy of different time zones that, you know, right now out West, we just finished lunch, but in Ontario, they're going home for dinner soon. And just because we're in different time zones doesn't, mean that they're ahead and we're behind. We're just at a different spot. And I think that is probably the biggest key. If there was a first step to moving towards this place where we can live a life of contentment and where we can live a life in quiet, is that understanding that you are right now exactly where you need to be. In that space of contentment, how do you find that... Um I don't want to, like the word that, you, that, that comes to mind is accelerate, right? Right. How do, how do you, how do you find people accelerate their life once they've found that point, that place of contentment? Yeah. The cool thing is, I think in that space of contentment where we have self-acceptance, it opens up the portal to everything. Because if you want to write a book, write a book. If you want to do a TEDx, do a TEDx. If you want to start a global movement to change the way that the world works, just go out and do it. And I, you know, I think we get um, right that psychological impact of 
trying to, you know, who are, who are we to be an author? Who are we to be um, the leader of a global movement of change? But if that's what you feel you should do, and you know that you're content where you are, then it allows you to harness that power to make immediate change right now. And I think that's the, right. That's the catalyst. That's the that's the exponential growth factor that can come through is just that understanding. You know, Eminem says, "If you had one shot or one opportunity to capture everything you ever wanted, would you or get everything you what you captured, or would you let it slip?" But the thing that he got wrong in the song, other than it's like the most played song in history, um, is that the moment recreates itself continually the moment of opportunity gives birth to itself as it passes as it's coming through if we think of the hourglass the that compression part where it comes through the neck opportunity recreates and re-gives birth to itself at every moment so it's not like the moment comes and passes and then it's gone the moment comes and then the next moment comes and then the next moment comes and when we can understand that that's what gives us the opportunity to really harness that power of exponential growth. That's incredible. Uh, this is such fascinating stuff. Um, in, in just the concept of time and, and understanding the the presence of it and yeah. everything. And um, I got a, I got a question here and then I think we'll start moving towards some of the, the giving stuff. Cause I need to do a lot yeah. of philanthropic things, but um, in the context of say um, someone who's just starting a business, and they need to pound out sales and they're trying to um you know build that momentum when when they hear this context they might say hey slowing down and being present and being in the moment it's you know we're always such visionaries such forward thinking we're always trying to say like hey i'm going to reverse engineer that i need to make 100 phone calls to get 50 people on the sure. on the thing and and building it backwards how do you how do you keep that that drive for someone that is hungry that wants more that's that's trying to push forward but also mm -hmm. keep them in the context of being present with where we are today and i ask this because i'm very similar in that space i'm adhd right. very visionary always trying to drive the boat as fast as it can forward but also is trying to be present where i'm like on a podcast with you now and being here in this moment and understanding how it all works so just yeah. curious how you how you shift between those two where you have to be killer and go crush business and how do you be right. present and enjoy the moment yeah um there's an oscar wilde quote and he says everything in moderation including moderation and i love it because i think it's the perfect way to answer this question is that it's cool to blow it and it's cool to overdo it and it's cool to go too hard not too often right and i think understanding that is a really key attribute to understanding that we need to come back to the moment of center right we need to come back to the fulcrum um right if you think about being on the teeter-totter as a kid right i don't know if you did this in grade school but i did but the most fun place of the teeter-totter to be was standing right on that pivot point, right on that fulcrum, right? And where this is overdoing it and where this is lazy or this is up and this is down or vice versa, that sitting in the middle is a really cool spot. And again, there's not a whole lot of movement in there, but I think 
I think understanding that the the pendulum goes both ways and there's days where you need to just rest and just stop and just breathe. Um, there are so many studies right now that are, right, we talk about um, the psychological impact of an acronym that I use called FOLD, um, which is the fear of leaving your dad's. And we have that ingrained in us that if I don't have my phone in my pocket or if I'm not prospecting at all times or if I'm not grinding it out at all times then I'm losing out on opportunity. But what happens when you go for a walk and you take your shoes off and you walk in the grass or you get your, um, you know, you get your feet in the water is that that's that time where we have to come back to balance. And, and I don't, I don't think, right. I think the concept of integration is a much more important concept than the concept of balance because everybody says work-life balance. Well, balance means that nothing moves. Right, balance is static, and balance means that if this moves, this has to move. And and I think if we could get away from this concept of work-life balance and move towards the understanding of a work-life integration, where I can I can overdo it over here and that's okay, as long as I do something over here at some point. Right? It's about all of these pieces fitting together inside a space think of putting a whole bunch of marbles in a balloon right we can stretch them in any one direction but eventually they got to come back and i i i know that's not a practical one two three step tip on how to do it but i think the concept there is really important to understand that um to come back to the fulcrum to come back to the center is super important and we do it but we're not going to wait there because it gets boring. Yeah. Hey, we got to run up and down that teeter totter. I love that. Such a good answer, man. And, and just love your concept of, of just being and, and the integration yeah. component of that, not, not having the balance. And I've heard more and more people talking about that. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of this. It used to just be, you, you had to have balance, but now you can integrate into both. So I love that. Yeah. Uh, I know we have a restricted time with you, so I want to make sure that we get to this giving section because yeah. you've done some really incredible stuff on the philanthropic side of things, on top of just being an incredible entrepreneur and sales guru and author and TEDx speaker. You also yeah. uh, were able to um, be the founder of a really cool uh, nonprofit or charity called yeah. Give Cancer the Middle Finger. Yeah. And and I would love for you to just talk like like what inspired you to start a charity and what about yeah. cancer makes you want to give it the middle finger? Right. Yeah. We, um, before moving to the interior, we lived in Vancouver and I was fortunate to be, uh, play a little part with Movember as part of their organizing committee for Vancouver. Um, and I got to play, you know, very small role on their team to help coordinate fundraising efforts and events in the greater Vancouver area. And then we moved to Kamloops. So we've went from, you know, 3 million to a hundred thousand. Um, and I realized in our space, the impact that we were having with Movember wasn't creating the local impact that I wanted it to have. And I had, um, a very good friend of mine who had a very, she was very passionate about trying to build a cancer supportive care center in Kamloops. And I, we'd done an event in Vancouver called Give Cancer the Finger. And it was prostate related. Um, so it, it had a bit of humor. 
associated with it. And I thought, well, you know what? Why don't we just start the foundation, Give Cancer the Finger? Um, and the story from that actually came from I went for a um, to talk to my doctor about having a prostate check. And he said, well, Derek, I can do the, um, you know, we can do the PSA or we can do the digital exam. And I'm like, oh, digital sounds cool because um, the PSA is the blood work. And you know, I'm like, well, you know, tell me more about the digital exam. And he's like, oh, no, that's my finger. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, digit, got it. Um, <laughs> so that really was the inception of the of the name for the foundation. But what we really wanted to do was focus on keeping that money local and keeping the support um, in the interior, in that Kamloops region. So what we did a lot of our fundraising events and the, the unfortunate part was COVID kind of put an end to our fundraising efforts um, along with some other things that happened. But every fundraising event that we did had to have a finger related association to it. So our first thing was a digital, uh, was a spin class that we did, uh, 80s theme spin class called Let's Get Digital. Um, we did finger painting, we did finger foods, we did uh, two finger whiskey <laughs> tasting. Um, it was great. It was so much fun to, to build that momentum. And the really interesting thing was through the work that we were doing in the last election prior to COVID was that both parties were action in the province had made a promise to actually make good on happened yet. That hasn't occurred. Um, but both parties had made that campaign promise that the cab, the, um, cancer supportive care center would come to Kamloops. So we've made a decision to disband and to shut down the foundation. And we've really, we've been looking for some, um, something really important to do with the money that we'd raised. Yeah. And you're doing something cool now with it. I mean, you, yeah. if you want to yeah. share quickly about that and, and what you're now using the the foundation for and the impact it's going to have. Yeah. So through TEDx in Surrey, um, I made really good friends with a gal named Kelsey. And Kelsey has an amazing talk. Go find her talk on the YouTube channel. Um, but Kelsey went through cancer treatment as a young mom with two kids. And she discovered something called a cold cap, which is something that I'd never heard about before in my life. But essentially what a cold cap is, is a gelatin-based kind of old-style football helmet that you can use to freeze your scalp as you're going through your chemo treatments. And what these cold caps do is actually freeze your hair follicle down to a point where the amount of chemo drug absorbed by your hair follicle is significantly less than not having these caps on. And by not having the chemo absorbed into your hair follicle gives you a higher chance of your hair not falling out during treatment. And, you know, part of it is the vanity side of keeping your hair, especially as a, as a female. Um, but the second part is just that an anonymity and understanding that Walking into a grocery store, bald, people know you're sick. Walking into a grocery store with a full head of hair, you remain and you maintain that anonymity. And Kelsey had three cold caps and she gives these out to women. They are um, free that they get um, through her that they can use while they're going through treatment. 
And I said, well, we're going to, we're going to get you three more. And so I contacted the company. I said, well, can, how much is it for us to get three? And then I was talking to another one of our foundation members and she said, well, we need some of these cold caps up North. Can you buy two more? I said, absolutely. We're going to buy two more. So we're taking a big chunk of our money that we had left from the foundation. And we are currently, we bought five of these cold caps. So Kelsey had three in Vancouver. We're now going to have five. Two of them are going to Prince George. Two of them are going to be in Kamloops. One of them is going to Vancouver. I called a good buddy of mine, Dave Moffis, who lives up in Prince George. And I said, Dave, this is what I'm doing. I need you to help, you know, pass these caps out in Prince George. He said, tell me about him. I did. He said, cool. I'm matching your donation. And so now we're going from three caps in the province to 13. And, and really, I'm hopeful that we can heighten that because we have no caps on the island that we can give out for donation. We have nothing in the, you know, in the caribou region that would kind of be between, but we have like out further in the Okanagan and then Kootenays. Um, I would love if we could have these caps that we could lend out to women as they're going through chemo to help support them through their journey, because every little bit helps to make a difference in their lives. And I just, I'm, I can't wait for the day that we can deliver these caps and just have them in circulation and to know that what we did and what Hamloops did as a community was raised the money to pay for these. So yeah, it's incredible. Congratulations, Derek. I think that's, um, it is incredible and it's an incredibly, um, admirable mission that you're on here. And, um, you know, I've been in my life anyways, has been touched by the, the cancer bug a couple different times for my dad and a good friend of mine, Levi. And, um, you know, it's having something like that cold cap, I think just stacks hope into the situation yeah. as well, which I think can be so like, it can be monumental for people. Um, depending on what their like their own mental health and their own conditions are um you know uh, sort of besides the big pieces like the cold caps and, and the foundation is there is there maybe a story you can share with us that might be uh, a favorite moment of giving it doesn't have to be the biggest check you ever wrote or anything along those lines but something that really still means quite a bit to you in your heart yeah it's um there's been some cool moments I'm trying to trying to bring it down to one. Um, I have a feeling that nothing is going to trump this. I think what I, the one thing that keeps popping up in this wasn't something that I did, but it was a conversation that I had with a gentleman at the bar when we were doing one of our fundraising events. And he walked me through his cancer journey. Mm -hmm. And we were at this fundraising event and it was a, you know, balloons and helium and bars and drinks and dancing and it was a great time but we we sat at the bar for half an hour and he just told me his story and he turned to us and he gave us 400 bucks and that was the money that he had but he was like i love what you're doing i want to help and when you think about what it took for him to do that it's friggin awesome yeah and and to just to hear his story and his journey and he's in remission and he's doing well and he's healthy and he just wanted to be there to help support and do what he could do because i think a lot of cases a lot of times we don't know where to go to help out and do what do what we've wanted to be able to do to help and 
it's, it's that image, like that image is burned in my brain and I will never forget sitting at the bar with that dude and just having a conversation and hearing his story. So give me, give me shivers thinking about that. Cause you just, it's, um, honestly, we say it every episode, but it's just so crazy. These conversations we have asking that simple question where it's like, yeah, recreating those moments are s not simple, but they're just so, they're such a simple moment, right? Yeah. It's, it's not a huge life changing moment. It was a simple no. conversation that's had such a profound impact on you. And I'm sure on him to just yeah. feel supported and loved. And it goes as far as saying, you know, sometimes when somebody's going through some stuff, just being a support system and asking them how they're doing or listening to their story or giving them a vehicle that they can support because they don't know is sometimes so powerful. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. I know it yeah, was, was a moment of, of direct giving yourself, but just in the yeah. of giving in general, fantastic. I like shivers still. So yeah. that's, uh, that's amazing. Um, Perfect transition for us to jump into yeah. our giving round. So it's some yeah. rapid fire, quick answer questions. Are you ready for them? Cool. Ready. Um, brag on one charity that you like that isn't your own. I get, you know what? It's the Movember Foundation because they gave me my start. They gave me that start of the philanthropic nature. Very um, cool. Just meeting Adam and hearing about their story and about how they started a charity just by seeing who could grow the biggest mustache to piss their girlfriends off. <laughs> Right. And think of so good. Global, the global impact that he has now had. So yeah, hundred percent that for the cause of kind of giving me my philanthropic start. Great. What would get you more excited donating a $1 million check or spending a week physically helping others? Mm. I love the engagement. I think money, like money can do so many things. That's, I don't know if you can honestly answer that question. I think it's hard. Um, I think. <laughs> I'm going to choose both because that's my answer. So I'm going to give a million dollars while I'm helping somebody out for a week. It is one of the hardest questions we ask. So I don't believe yeah. it's a very common answer because it, you, you need both. So I get yeah. it for sure. Yeah. Um, who inspires you with their giving? There's so much, you know what? Dave Mothis, um, he lives up in Prince George. He's been a buddy of mine for years and I recently connected you to him, but I don't think there's a man with a bigger heart. Hey, he just goes. He goes on a hundred miles an hour, twenty four seven, and just his nature. That if I could grow up to be like him, and you know, if I could give half as much as he gives in time and energy and focus and love, yeah, kudos, love you, Dave. You know, Dave. Do you think that entrepreneurs should include a give back component in their business from day one or wait until they've seen a little bit of success and might have some money in the bank account? I think profits are important. Um, shareholder value is important and profits are important and money is important. I think it needs to be introduced as a concept right away. Like had I thought about it in the beginning. Maybe it's like, maybe it's easier to get into that pattern if it's something that's part of your business from the beginning. But I also understand like where I'm giving right now is not financially, right? But I am, I do have some coaching sessions that I do for free from that giving back perspective. But I, I think the philanthropic nature is so important, the, the mindset of giving and supporting because the more we give, the more we get. I think bringing that 
skin and whether it's whether it's time or financial i think both of those things need to be a factor um i'm a big fan of having businesses be profitable because as long as they're profitable they get to stay in business which is really cool but um yeah i think that philanthropic mindset needs to be there from the get-go absolutely great answer um if you were to explain go big to give big to a stranger how would you share it I think it's about thinking about, have you spent the time to think about doing something bigger than yourself, right? Getting outside of this little circle that you live in and going, what else is it that you can do to talk and, and to help and to support? I think that's what, right? Go big to give big to me would be. Other than I said, talk to Randy. <laughs> No, in one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Euphoria. Mm, euphoria. I think it's a new one. Very cool answer. It took. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. We'll leave it there. That's good, man. Cool. Um, and the final question we got for you today, Derek. Um, uh, it's an age-old question. You've probably heard it and thought about it before. But do you believe that money can buy you happiness? No. Why is that? Because I think if if we bring this back to tipping time and this living in contentment and understanding that hierarchy of human needs of shelter and food and water and being free from the threat, threat of physical danger and self-acceptance, if we can get to that level, then we get to be happy, right? Um, Anya... We'll quote Kanye West too, because we're throwing out random things today. Um, that um, he has a line in the song "The Good Life," and it's probably a line you've never heard before, but you will hear it now every time you hear that song. As then he says, "Having money's not everything, but not having it is." And I think it's a really profound thing. I think there is a there is a level of income that is important and mandatory to be able to satisfy those two hierarchies of food and shelter and being free from the threat of physical danger but anything above that like that's where happiness can happen it doesn't mean you can't be happy below that level but once we eclipse and once we get to this point of self-acceptance the rest of the money doesn't provide more happiness so i think to a certain degree, there's a threshold. And then past that threshold, it's really about understanding yourself and understanding what is important to you and understanding where it is that you want to give back. Very cool answer, man. I love it. And uh, thank you so much for coming in today, Derek. It was an absolute oh. pleasure having you come and break down that theory for all of us and, and sharing with our audience and just the the work that you're doing for um, people in in your local neighborhood to support them and help them. I think it's so special and so amazing. I want to give you just uh, a minute here to just brag on yourself. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they get your books, your consulting, your TEDx, whatever you want to share right now? Uh, how can people yeah. get in touch with you? Yeah, I would say easiest point is just go to derekstrokon.com or .ca. Um, that will lead you to my corporate website, but the corporate website is sacredline.ca. Um, you can find my TEDx on YouTube. Um, would love if 
anybody watched that or had any feedback or was willing to share it. I think it's it's a really interesting vessel for us to get this message out about the power of just being yourself. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm around, but DerekStrokeOn.com is really the easiest way to track me down. Absolutely amazing. Well, thank you again so much for coming in and inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so we can give bigger with our profits and just being an inspiration for all of us. So thank you again for coming in. Oh, thank you so much, guys. It was an awesome chat. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can. And it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.